Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, May 1st, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. Joining me into this podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Paul. Hello, hello. And Redder, Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Okay, let's talk about the most important thing that has hit the site this week. And that is an, an exclusive interview with Quentin Tarantino that uh, Quentin Tarantino called Chris up on the phone. Chris, tell us how this happened. All right. So uh, about a month ago, we got, you know, uh, there was word in the, the Netflix uh, newsletter saying an extended version of The Hateful Eight was coming to Netflix and, uh, you know, I and pretty much everyone, you know, online assumed that meant it was the the roadshow cut. The roadshow cut aired in theater, not aired, but played in theaters for, you know, a few weeks in December 2015. And then a somewhat shorter uh, wide cut was released. And that the the wider cut, which is shorter, is the only one that's ever been released on home video. The roadshow cut has never been uh, released in any other form except that brief theatrical run. So everyone was like, oh, cool, the roadshow cut is finally coming out. And then the day came, and we all saw that was not what was happening. Instead, for some strange reason, the film had been broken up into four episodes, like a miniseries. And everyone was puzzled by this. I was puzzled. Film Twitter was puzzled. We were all just wondering what the hell is going on. Did they just take the roadshow cut and split it into four parts? And if so, why? And we all theorized that, you know, there's no way Quentin Tarantino would say okay to this because he seems like such a purist. And this just seemed like a weird thing Netflix had done. So uh, behind the scenes at SlashHome.com, we all did a little digging. Um, we, 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 able to, we were able to track down the contact info for Quentin Tarantino's agent. And I reached out to him. And originally, I just was asking for a comment. I had no um, you know, lofty ambitions of actually talking to Quentin Tarantino just because I thought that would be like off the table. So I reached out to his agent. I said, hello, we're, we're writing a story about this Netflix cut. 
just wondering if Tarantino is aware of this and if you had any comment from him we could use. Uh, at which point Tarantino's agent said, actually, Quentin is the one who curated this cut and he would be happy to talk to you about this if you want. And obviously I was like, yes, absolutely. I would love to talk to Quentin Tarantino. So, And I remember uh, in the Slack channel, you were freaking out over this, but you're like, it's never going to happen. Yeah, because, you know, I- I've had things in the past where I've been offered interviews with certain people, you know, big people. And they don't pan out for one reason or another. And that's just, you know, the way it goes in this business. And I was just like, you know, what's going to happen is they're going to say this is going to happen and then it won't happen. And this was on Friday. And the the agent said, you know, he'll probably contact you either Monday or Tuesday. So Monday came yesterday and I hadn't heard anything. So I I reached back out to the agent. I was like, just want to see if this is still happening. At which point he was like, well, Quentin has your number, so he's going to call you at some point. Now, um, let me give um, our listeners some inside baseball here. I'm sorry I'm going long on this, but it's a it's a kind of detailed story. So usually when you do an interview with any sort of celebrity, a director, an actor, a writer, whatever, it's usually handled through uh, some sort of PR person. So what, what will happen is the PR person will call you up. They'll say, hello, I have so-and-so on the line. Are you ready? And I'll say, yes, I am. And then they'll connect me with the talent. Um, It's very, very rare that the talent actually picks up a phone themselves and just calls you at random. There's usually a scheduled time. There's usually a scheduled amount of time you have on an interview. You know, it's usually like 15 minutes. And it's usually very structured. Um, It doesn't always stick to the schedule, but there's usually some sort of plan. And this was the complete opposite, where the agent was literally telling me at some point during this week, Quentin Tarantino would place a call to me, Uh, at which point I began to get terrible anxiety because I was like, oh, my God, what if what if Quentin Tarantino calls me like while I'm at the supermarket and I have like no way of recording the call? And I was like, I'm going to have to like sit by my phone, you know, until I get this call. Uh, Thankfully, um, so Tuesday, did did you not leave your house where you like? Well, yeah, I mean, I rarely go out anyway because you know, I work from home. So I, I was just paranoid that, like, at some point I'd be out and he would call. So thankfully, he didn't take too long. Tuesday rolled around. I get a call. The caller ID says um, somewhere in California. I'm not going to tell you where, listeners, yeah. but it was somewhere in California. And at that point, I was like, all right, this has it, to be it, him. It didn't say once upon a time in Hollywood? No. <laughs> uh, I was like, you know, this has to be him because no one else from California would be calling me. So even though I knew it was going to be him, I picked up and I said, hello, this is Chris. And he said, hello, Chris, this is Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> At which point I started going, uh, bah, bah, like an idiot, because <laughs> it's just very, it's very weird to get a phone call. And it was clearly like, you know, it was that very Quentin Tarantino has a very recognizable voice. So it was clearly him. It was just like, uh, hello, Quentin Tarantino. And it was just, you know, I was very awkward and clumsy for at least like a full minute. Wait, how, I, how long into this phone call did, did it take you before you realized it was just Brad doing a Quentin Tarantino impression? <laughs> I with... didn't realize <laughs> until the very end that it was all Brad. No. no um, so, you know, it took me like a full minute to get my recorder working, you know, just like an idiot. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And he was very nice. Quentin Tarantino. I don't know what I expected him to be like, but he was very polite. He was very easy to talk to. Like, you know, we had been friends for a long time, even though we had never spoken before. All right. So that's my long rambling setup for my Quentin Tarantino story. I talked to him on the phone. 
And it should be said that you can read the full interview, the transcript of the interview on SlashFilm.com. We will link it in the show notes. But what did we actually learn about uh, The Hateful Eight? Okay, so um, despite what everyone believed, even me, myself, I believed this was the case. Quentin Tarantino actually did uh, have a big part to play in creating this Netflix cut. This wasn't, you know, just Netflix going off willy-nilly. This was Quentin Tarantino sitting down with his editor to cut this film into a miniseries. Um, Netflix reached out to him. Uh, actually, like it's from the way he told the story, it sounded like they did this right around the time the film was like still in theaters, which is kind of mind blowing to me. But Netflix said, look, do you have, you know, more footage to this? If you do, we'd be happy to show this as an, you know, an epi- like as an episodic thing. We would break it up into three or four episodes. And, you know, uh, I feel like there are some filmmakers who would immediately be like, absolutely not. This is my vision. And up until now, I would have thought Quentin Tarantino would be one of those filmmakers. But he says in the interview, he says to me, you know, he thought this idea was really intriguing. And so after about like less than a year after the film came out, he and his editor sat down. They started cutting the film, re-editing it. Um, he says, you know, he didn't, they didn't re-edit the entire film, but they, they cut it up in a way that they easily were able to get four episodes out of it. Um, uh, beyond that, you know, there's been some debate on whether or not there's new footage or not. He told me there's about 20 minutes of new footage in here. And in addition to that, you know, there's, there's some significant re-editing, like things that scenes that play out the way they did in the theatrical version play out um differently in in this uh tv cut i haven't watched the whole thing yet because you know it's it's kind of lengthy i I need to finish it but i I started watching it and i gotta say it's very it it does play very interestingly i was skeptical at first but you know i don't know if i prefer this to the movie but it's definitely not like an abomination it's it's kind of interesting and i kind of wonder if this is like a, a thing Netflix is going to try um, for other filmmakers. There was, you know, on a much smaller scale, a few months ago, Netflix put out this, this director's cut of this movie called fair game that pretty much no one saw it as Naomi Watts. And uh, I think Sean Penn in it. And it's based on the true story of Valerie Plame. And, you know, that movie didn't really do very well in theaters. And up until now, we didn't even know there was a director's cut of it, but out of nowhere, Netflix just released this director's cut of that film and, you know, with that and now this, I'm wondering if Netflix is going to start trying to do this for more and more filmmakers or if they've offered this to more and more filmmakers and we have yet to hear about it yet. The um, the curious thing about this whole thing for me is Netflix did a really poor job like advertising this. Um, you know, I- I've been getting a lot of feedback on the interview, you know, on Twitter and like the number one thing I keep hearing again and again is people saying like, I had no idea this even existed. Like, because Netflix did zero marketing, you know, the, all they did was say, we're putting out an extended edition. And it didn't even say that like publicly, it was just like insider, you know, to people like us who write about movies, they emailed us to tell us that. And you'd think like, this should be a big thing. Like, Hey, we're putting out a never before seen version of a Tarantino movie. That's, that's significant news. And yet Netflix did almost no publicity and I, I i can't figure out why and you know that's you know <laughs> they'll have to explain that themselves but you know now uh, it's thankfully it's getting out there more sorry to butt in chris but the crazy thing about this to me is that 
one of the number one comments I saw when I shared your story was, oh, now that I know Tarantino is involved, I'm going to go watch this. So why, why weren't they, like, leading with that? Why couldn't Netflix have put out a statement saying, hey, Tarantino did this, instead of letting the internet, like, sit on its butt and wonder why this was happening for days and days? You, you know, yeah, the, I, the weirdest thing about this is, like, what you mentioned on a previous version of the podcast, like, each episode begins with the beginning credits as presented in the movies, like, repeating over and over again uh, for the subsequent episodes. And it feels like... Like, if, if Tarantino went through and, like, made this whole other cut of the film, like, why didn't they redo the credits and stuff for each episode? Like, it felt like when, when, when you go to this on Netflix, you're like, oh, Netflix, like, butchered this. Yes, it's very, like, you know, I, I can't really fathom why they wouldn't, at the very least, like, put, like, a title card on the entry. Like, if you go to Netflix and look up The Hateful Eight, it should say somewhere on there, Quentin Tarantino created this for us. There's nothing that suggests that. And yeah, like Jacob said, that I got comments about that too, where there are people saying like, up until now, I had no indication that Tarantino had anything to do with this cut. And it's just, it's very bizarre. And a part of me wonders if like, that's maybe the reason he was, Tar- Quentin Tarantino was so willing to, you know, get out there and talk about this because no one really seemed to know. It's just, and he even says this in the interview with me. He was, he's, he's, he's frustrated that so many film websites have written this up without actually like sitting down to watch it and see for themselves. And hopefully, you know, now people are going to start watching it. Hopefully, we've helped Quentin Tarantino out a little. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he he also broke some news that there's a Django Unchained director's cut coming sometime. Uh, yeah, Jacob was nice enough to write this up for me as I was transcribing um, the interview itself. But yeah, he told me during the interview, because I asked him, I said, you know, would you consider doing this with your other films like um, Kill Bill, The Whole Bloody Affair? And he said, you know, it's it's doubtful he's going to revisit that movie just because he feels like everything he needed for that movie is in it. Because, you know, he split up into two films and it has all the footage he thinks it actually needs. So it, it seems unlikely he's going to do that with kill bill. But then he said, you know, you know, while I'm not going to do this with kill bill, I have actually cut a Django unchained director's cut. He added that, you know, he's not going to release that as a mini series like the Hable eight, because he thinks it works better as a movie, but there's definitely, it's, he said it's like a three hour and 20 minute cut of the film. And he's just waiting to release it probably sometime after uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood comes out. So hopefully we'll be getting like a 4K Blu-ray or something like that. Yeah. And uh, Tarantino goes into a lot more. He talks about the Star Trek movie that he might be working on. He talks about possibly doing this for future films. Uh, Click on over to SlashFilm.com or, you know, click on that link in the show notes to read the full transcript. Uh, And it's worth it. I mean. It's Quentin Tarantino. Chris, I just want to say uh, th- this is a great bit of uh, work from you, and I, I, I am uh, really excited that we are able to have this on Slash Home. And seeing seeing it being reported all over the world on all these different websites, uh, it, it, it's really cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's definitely been very um, – it's been a surreal, like, 24 hours. Like, I'm still not – fully over the fact that he just uh, called me up and said hello i'm quentin tarantino i'm still like like oh how how strange yes uh okay let's move on to something big indiana jones 5 apparently might have a new writer and we we also have some details on what the what the script from john kasdan was going to be about jacob what do we know 
Well, what we know is that Making Star Wars, who also reports Lucasfilm news in general, reported that Indiana Jones 5 has found a new writer in Dan Fogelman, best known as the creator and showrunner on This Is Us. His uh, screenplay work includes hit-and-miss movies like Cars, Fred Claus, Las Vegas, and Life Itself. And before we go any further, this, this is not confirmed. We've reached out to our own sources to try to double-check this. But Making Star Wars has a very good track record. They like If you want to avoid accurate Episode Nine <laughs> rumors, you should stay away from Making Star Wars right now because they're, they're, they're fairly accurate. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're basically ruining the whole movie for you, so don't go there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, so, I, but this means this news has a very strong chance of being true because they their, their sources and their information do tend to be accurate. So what we don't know is that what Fulgham's script is about because he's apparently starting from scratch, new MacGuffin, new story, new adventure. But what we do know is that Kasdan's script uh, was very uh, different. It was about uh, stolen Nazi gold based on an actual uh, story of a train full of stolen artifacts uh, by Nazis during World War II being hidden in a uh, series of mines in Europe, and Indiana Jones is going to go after this hidden Nazi gold, which would be a fun way to bring back the Nazis as villains, because, you know, decades after the fact, Harrison Ford can be older and still face his most iconic enemy, and it would make sense, because, you know, as we've seen throughout pop culture and the history book, the Nazis stole a lot of famous stuff, and the Allies had to scatter about to find it. So there actually is a, a nice little smidge of history there uh which is always fun for Nian jones there's always a smidge of actual mythology or actual history but like i said we do not know what's going to actually come out of this because fulgerman's apparently starting from scratch so i'm, I'm looking forward to uh, the big twist about how indiana jones had cancer the whole time and he spent the whole episode dying because that's what happens on this is us every other uh, week uh peter how do you feel about this um by the way it should be mentioned in the past when they have started from scratch on these Indiana Jones films like Crystal Skull they've kind of kept that MacGuffin uh th- making Star Wars says that they've they are abandoning this but we do not know that I I do think a return to the Nazis is good because I think that you know the best Indiana Jones movies dealt with the Nazis I am not a fan of this is us and uh Dan Fogelman I I don't know. That gives me a little bit of a pause. I I do like Kasdan. Uh, I know a lot of people weren't high on him because of Solo, a Star Wars story, but uh, I I do really love uh, his early uh, directorial de- debut uh, that played at Sundance. What was it called? Off last Zero night, first effect? night, no something night. I don't know. Okay. Anyways, uh, Chris, your thoughts on this? Uh, I really wish someone other than Dan if this is true I, I'm not very excited about Dan Fogelman Dan Fogelman seems to me like um someone who definitely fails upward I know this is us as a hit but almost all but, of by his the way other- it's a huge hit like not even yes. like a little bit of a hit like it's a you know I know I know it's like a cultural phenomenon but like almost all of his other movies even the recent life itself were notorious flops that were just torn apart by critics and the fact that that apparently doesn't affect his career at all. And they're like, here, please come write Indiana Jones is very troubling to me because I know there are better writers out there. But as always, I will wait to see how this pans out. I will, you know, there's like, there's like no way I'm not going to see a new Indiana Jones movie from Steven Spielberg. Like that would never, ever happen. So I I will definitely see it, but I'm, I'm not uh, very ecstatic about the news. Yeah, and also I want to apologize. I got my Kazdins confused. Uh, Zero Effect was Jake Kazdin. And uh, I think that Chris is right on the money here. I'm not going to prejudge this uh, beforehand. But Fogelman is... 
you can't even tell a Twitter story without having a sad sack twist ending. And I'm sure he's a talented, nice guy. I'm sure he's easy to work with. I'm sure he gets in the room and convinces people he's the right for that guy for the job because that's what half his job is. But nothing he has written thinks has me convinced he's right for this. And I'm prepared to be convinced. But I also live in a household where my wife watched the first season of This Is Us religiously and swore it off after season two, like it burned her so hard. So I'm from a anti This Is Us household now. So I can't say I'm very excited about Fulgham. And I came and stand up for him from a, from a proxy point of view. And by the way, that Kazden film that I was talking about is not uh, anything having to do with night. It's called The First Time. So there you go. Uh, 2017. <laughs> um, it takes place over the characters of one night. So I, I don't know. I'm not sure how I got confused there. But let's move on to Marvel. Let's talk about Disney Plus. There Or not Disney Plus, but Hulu. Marvel is doing a Ghost Rider TV series. It's coming to Hulu. Chris, what do we know? Uh, yeah. So while, while the days of Netflix's Marvel shows seem to be at an end, um, now that Disney owns a, a significant stake in Hulu, it looks like Hulu is going to start – uh, getting in on this action here and they're they're planning two different marvel shows one is ghost rider which would is going to be you know the the more well-known of these two projects uh and it's going to feature uh robbie reyes who is a character who's already been featured in one show before played by gabriel luna um he was on agents of shield and he's actually going to be reprising the role for this sh- this version of the show too but um uh, it's it's stressed that this this version is going to have nothing to do with Agents of Shield. It's going to be a standalone thing that just happens to star the same guy as Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider is of course the guy with the flaming skull head. That's who everyone knows him as. Uh, this version is different. You know, the the classic Ghost Rider rides a motorcycle. This this one drives a car. So if you're hoping for a motorcycle Ghost Rider, I'm sorry. This is the car one. Uh, other than that, there is Hellstrom, which is something I've never heard of before, but, um, there is a comic book character, uh, named Hellstrom, but it's spelled differently. And the comic book character was created in the seventies. And in researching this story, I found that originally Stan Lee wanted to make a comic uh, where the devil himself was the protagonist. And an editor said, that's probably a bad idea. Let's make him the devil's son. And that became Hellstrom. That said, this this show doesn't sound anything like that other than the name. The show is about uh, two siblings who are the offspring of a powerful serial killer. And the siblings have powers, too, but they use their powers to fight evil, which really sounds a lot like uh, Supernatural, but, you know, with a little bit of a twist. And I'm pretty sure whoever pitched this show was like, we'll make it like Supernatural. And someone said, great, that was a hit. Let's do it. And so now we have that. Jacob, do you have any interest in this Ghost Rider TV show? Uh, not really. I gave up an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a few seasons in, not because it was bad, but because I ran out of laundry to fold while I was watching it. Um, from my, by all accounts, this take on wait, the wait, character... Wait a on second. It, How do you run out of laundry to fold? That, that was a joke. It was my laundry folding show, and then I just fell off when it sort of returned. Oh. I didn't have laundry to do that week. <laughs> I, th- I thought you were going to tell me that you were rolling in the big bucks and you just like wear everything once and then throw it away. And I was like, that's no, wasteful, I, Jacob. Wasteful. My clothes burst into flames because I'm Ghost Rider and it just cleans them for me. Uh, but no, all seriousness, I've read a little bit of the comics with the Robbie Reyes Ghost Rider. And goodness, there have been so many Ghost Riders in the Marvel Comics universe now that he's like maybe the fifth or sixth one at this point. I mean, in their Ghost, Ghost Riders throughout history, no matter what they're driving, it turns into a ghost mobile that's, that's on fire. So it's him driving a car. It's just the latest in a flaming vehicle during my Ghost Rider. I'm not so sure if I'll get around to watching this. I'd never even watched Runaways, which is based on a comic I actually love. 
Uh, but we'll see. But I will leave this here. I want to hear the responses from Chris and Peter to this. Because why bring Robbie Reyes, his own TV show in Hulu, when the current Ghost Rider in the comics is Frank Castle, the Punisher, who is also a Guardian of the Galaxy? Well, we, we, we already so. know the answer to that, Jacob. <laughs> they don't have the rights to Frank Castle at this yeah. time. That sounds much cooler, though. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather I'll watch say, that. <laughs> I want I want Space Punisher, Space Punisher, Ghost Rider, Guardian of the Galaxy, flying through space, shooting aliens. I don't. I don't need Robbie Reyes. Sorry, I, I'm I'm spoiled by what's on the page right now. Does the how does the Ghost Rider thing work? Is it anything you ride? Like, say there was like a guy riding a dinosaur. Would the dinosaur have like flames coming out of it, or like a horse? Yes, really. Uh, yes, if you go back and watch the, the very bad Ghost Rider film from the, the very first one from the oh, that's right. There's, There's like uh, Sam Elliott or something. Sam Elliott is, is, one, is an early Ghost Rider who's just like an old ghost person, and he rides a flaming horse at one point. And it's it's the only good part of the entire movie, like, and. One, <laughs> What if you like you were like riding a dog? Would the dog turn into like a, a skeleton? I don't. Yes. I want to see this. Yeah, ex- I, I think the only rule, the only hard fast rule of Ghost Riders is that whatever you're riding turns into your vehicle. Oh, that's on. That's a skeleton on fire. What about like an amusement park ride? Like you go to Disney <laughs> and you get on the teacups. Would the teacups like burst into flames? I want to. Someone answer this for me. This is very important. It's a very important conversation, and this is what I want. I want. I want Ghost Rider to like. Go around just riding things and seeing what does and does not turn into a flaming hellmobile. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd watch that. Maybe we'll get a what if episode on that. Um, I don't know. Ghost Rider for me was always kind of like Venom, one of those characters that looked really cool and you you bought because like the cover of the comic like just looked badass, but the stories weren't ever really that great. Am I wrong there, Jacob? I'm not a big Ghost Rider fan. You're right. He looks super cool. But I've never read a Ghost Rider run that I fell in love with. Uh, I think he's been fun in supporting roles. When he pops up here and there to lend support in, in uh, various groups and team ups. But yeah, um, he has an amazing look. And there's never been like a comic comic run where I said, "Yep, this is the definitive take." And I've, I've been a lot, I've read a lot of comics with a lot of characters where I said, "Oh, they finally thought something interesting to do with so and so." But never for Ghost Rider, at least not for me. Okay. Let's uh let's move on. Let's talk about Samsung. They are introducing a new TV. This is the future of television, guys. It's a vertical screen. So it's basically emulating what uh we are doing on Instagram, you know, with our phones and taking video. Uh Chris, what do we know? Uh this is bad. We know that. It's a it's a it's called this the Ciro and it it uh like you said it, it flips onto its side. It, it can be used both ways. It can be used like a traditional TV. And it can also be used in what you would consider portrait mode. And the, the whole idea for this is it connects to your phone so you can watch, you know, your, your Snapchat videos or your Instagram stories videos in the ratio you shoot them in. Um, and, you know, the whole the, the Samsung press release specifically says they're targeting this at uh, those darn millennials, which I guess makes sense. It'll run you about... Uh, Sixteen hundred dollars if if you buy it from Korea. It's it. There's no word if it's actually going to be sold in America, but it will be um sold in Korea uh, at the end of this month. So if you really want this, maybe you can import it from Korea for sixteen hundred bucks plus shipping, probably. The the only cool thing about this, and I wouldn't even say it's cool, but I do like how you can flip it. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's not just a vertical television. It's also horizontal. It's just depending on how you want to view the content. So if I'm like watching some content on, 
I guess, YouTube on my TV and it's shot with a phone vertically because nobody does that. But if they did, then I could watch it vertically. Yes, you, if you wanted to. You, I mean, you could. Well, I'm, I'm assuming you could watch anything you want vertically and, you know, doesn't matter what ratio it's shot in. You could just ruin the experience for yourself for a lot of money. Chris, I, how do you feel about a TV that you can break off the edges to watch, uh, you know, movie trailers that have been recut to fit Instagram posts? How, how do you feel about that, Chris? That is a good idea, especially the breaking off part. It, yeah. it, I want to, like, snap them in my hands, like, really loudly. Yeah. And <laughs> then you have to buy <laughs> a new TV every time. Does Does anybody think that vertical video is, like, has any future like are the millennials that into i i want to say no but i have a really bad feeling the answer is yes so i i don't i i'm gonna hope not but i wouldn't be surprised if it happened part of me wants to see like a movie that's actually shot vertically to see like what you could do with that new constraints of a you know the frame and how you could play around with that but i don't know where you could even show that like do you know what i mean if you go to like Sundance to premiere that it's not like they're going to build a special vertical screen for you to like so you're gonna have like these huge black bars on either side and it's gonna be horrible right I, I'm sure that'll happen at some point some experimental film if it even hasn't happened already well we'll, we'll I'm sure we'll see that at some point I think they've done some like TV shows on like some Snapchat stuff like that's been vertical but I don't think there's been a, a film yet or you know a feature film or not, Peter. The, the day we cover a future film shot in Snapchat style is the day I walk off a bridge. <laughs> okay, let's move on to Game of Thrones. Uh, Jacob, a lot of people were upset over this podcast that we recorded and your <laughs> review of this week's Game of Thrones. It was notably, you know, across the internet, people were complaining about this episode being too dark, too confusing. Uh, you couldn't tell who was who. I mean, I watched a half an hour of the episode and I didn't. I couldn't tell what dragon was what i i really was confused the cinematographer of the episode has come out and is defending his the lighting choices of this episode jacob what do we know yeah i wrote this up um i just want to say that before i dive in this as much as i did not like this episode this was clearly a creative choice it was clearly a choice made by a director or cinematographer and showrunners to try to depict a battle taking place in like terrifying darkness and i don't think it worked and uh, ben was mixed on it and a lot of people don't think it worked but a lot of people really appreciated what it was going for or just flat out appreciated it and i I've, I've heard that from a lot of people who were mean about it, a lot of people who were nice about it um but i guess my point is that uh when fabian wagner the uh, vp on this episode defends his work like I, my response is good for you. I did not like these choices, but you know, I don't want you to crumple over and apologize for, you know, 55 days of night shoots that you were bust your butt to make happen. So he told TMZ, um, that we tried to give the viewers uh, and fans a cool episode to watch. Uh, and I know it wasn't too dark because I shot it, which is maybe not the best way to phrase that. But at the same time, I understand where he's coming from because we do not know what happened to his work after he lit it. I mean, especially on a TV show where a, D, where a director of photography is way down to the chain of command, even more so than on a film production, because the director then has his hand with it. And the showrunners are allowed to, you know, color correct and tinker with lighting and tinker in post. And, you know, we can't blame Fabian Wagner alone for an episode that a lot of people couldn't see. So I'm glad that he is uh, sticking by it. And he also says that um, the show has always been very dark. It's, it's a very cinematic show. 
He blamed Bright Living Rooms. He blamed improperly calibrated televisions. And he blamed HBO Go and HBO Now for being slammed and putting on a bad stream, which is uh, – these are all things I think are accurate. But I also strongly believe that they should have tried watching this episode on a consumer-grade television in the living room somewhere just to, just to test it out knowing it's how millions of people watch television every Sunday night on HBO. So I, I'm glad he's sticking up for his work. And I do not doubt that this was a creative decision. And anybody who says he was incompetent uh, is doesn't know how production on film or television works. He shot eight other episodes of Game of Thrones, including Hard Home and Battle of the Bastards, which are really intense, well-made episodes of television directed by the same guy who made this episode. So this was not an incompetence. He should be proud. He should be sticking up for his work. I s- still stand by the fact that I don't think it works as a creative decision. Uh, Chris, as an outsider at all this, somebody who, I, who edited my review but have, has not actually watched uh, Game of Thrones since season two. Do this? Does this sound defensive to you, or does this sound like the right way to respond to this? Do you mean his response or yours? Uh, let's start with his. Um, I, I've seen people sort of jokingly comment on this by saying, you know, uh, like I th- uh, Mark Harris, the writer, said, like, you know, also everything I've ever write written is good because I wrote it. Like it's that kind of argument where, like, sure, it might look good to you, but you know, what do you, you know, there's, that doesn't mean it, you know, if millions of people are saying this looked bad, there's probably something there at the yeah. same time, you know, maybe, you know, some people shoot really dark, you know, I, I'm not, I, I feel stupid comparing this to the Godfather, but you know, when the Godfather came out shot by Gordon Willis, everyone was like, man, that movie's really dark looking, but now it's a masterpiece. But you know, I, I don't know this guy, so I, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say he's no Gordon Willis. So I, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't know how to really judge his work fully without, you know, being a full time watcher of the show. That's that said, having read Jacob's um, review, there's nothing mean about it. I feel like it was very fair handed. I, I feel like we've entered this weird territory where if you criticize anything remotely popular and you say like it's not a hundred percent perfect people freak out and that's just silly like there's there's always room for criticism except in things i write which are perfect i I do want to say that i'm not sure how it works in television but in feature films the the director of photographer director of photography does go in and is involved in the color grading process uh usually so I'm not sure if he was involved here. I will say that I have spoken spoken to a bunch of friends who did watch it and had no problem seeing things like, you know, they didn't adjust their TVs and uh, they seemed to like be shocked that people had problems seeing it. Like, I don't know. It seems to me that like different people were getting different streams of this different. Like, I feel like we don't have the full explanation of what's going on here. Yeah, and uh, there's no 4K version that's available. Not you know, it's not on disc yet. And Game of Thrones, not all Game of Thrones is even available uh, in 4K in a lot of cases. So until I can watch this on a, from a 4K physical disc on my on my 4K television at home, which I know looks good, then I'm then I'm, the jury is still out. But the stream uh, the stream from HBO Go even now on my television looks bad. The cable airing on my friend's TV, which was calibrated to perfection, looked bad. And you know, that's, that's two televisions, two different ways of watching it. And I'm just wondering if it just boils down to some people are okay with a battle that's intentionally chaotic and intentionally meant to be, you know, hard to follow. And some people who wanted an episode that let us see the characters we've been following for eight seasons actually get involved in the action as opposed to the silhouettes and their quick cuts of close-ups of their wrists. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, we'll have to find out when when they actually eventually release a 4K version. I have heard that the if you subscribe to HBO through the Amazon channels, that the compression through that version of HBO is less than HBO's own apps. I'm not sure if that's 100% true, but uh, people I trust have told me that. So uh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure how. How do you? How do you watch your HBO just on TV, right? Yeah, for Game of Thrones, I always watch the, the cable broadcasts so we can avoid. You know, the Game of Thrones always looks bad in the first half hour on HBO Go because some people are watching and always gets like you always see artifacting and it always comes in out of focus. So Game of Thrones is always cable for me, even if it's not quite as slick looking as other broadcasts. It is guaranteed not to screw up. But most HBO I watch on HBO Go and HBO Now, it looks totally fine. So this is. Definitely, definitely stands out in a big way. Yeah. Okay. That brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. Please head on over to the site and read Chris's fantastic interview with Quentin Tarantino. Uh, you can find this podcast, Slash Film Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.